ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back, people of this planet, to RizzoCast. My name is Steven Rizzotto. Um, I cover the San Francisco Giants for SF Bay, and I'm the host of RizzoCast, a podcast that features current and former big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the brightest minds in the game of baseball. Today's guest is Jerome Williams, a former Major League right-hander who pitched in parts of 11 big league seasons with the Giants, Cubs, Nationals, Angels, Astros, Rangers, Phillies. He's played for a lot of teams. He's played overseas. Um, And he was known during his career by the shell necklace and the pink glove. We're going to get into that. Uh, He retired in 2018 and spent the last two seasons as the pitching coach Uh, As a pitching coach in the New York Mets organization, uh, he's currently looking for the next uh, coaching job in his baseball life. Uh, So we talk more about that, too. We talk about all that, uh, his journey coming up next on RizzoCast. This is episode number 127. And without further ado, let's get started. All right. We are here with Jerome Williams. Jerome, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing good, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure, and I can't wait to kind of get into your career. But, you know, first things first, I noticed that, um, you know, you're currently on the hunt for uh, another coaching job in professional baseball. I mentioned in the intro that you've had uh, the last few years with the New York Mets organization. Um, and what what are some of the hopes and desires in terms of, you know, your next landing spot as a uh, as a professional baseball coach? What are you hoping for? Just passing on knowledge, you know. Um coming up playing, you know, that's what, that's what was, what was um, passed on to me, Um, not only from coaches, but from other players too. So, you know, just passing on the knowledge that I have, you know, I mean, I got drafted in 99. So, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's been a long road with baseball. So I think I know a little bit about baseball, um, especially with the past four years I was with the Mets and I think I can offer some, you know, some knowledge for, for younger players. Was coaching something that you ever thought about kind of as a player or did that idea kind of grow on you uh, in your retirement? Um, You know, the last, I want to say the last four years of playing, I was coaching at the same time. I was like touring some, some kids um, when I was with, I think it started in 2016 when I was with uh, the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals, I was in AAA and they had a couple prospects there with Alex Reyes. And, uh, we had another kid named Santo Ivalala. Um, I was there with them and I got approached from, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, Izzy, Jason Ingerhausen, cause he was, he was there and you know, hoping, helping out with the Cardinals. And, um, he asked me to, to talk to Alex Reyes. Um, I talked with him kind of helped him along the, the road of him being a top prospect, throwing hard, you know, uh, mentioned to him, hey, you need to use your change up a little bit more. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he gets to the big leagues that year. He was in the bullpen, got a start. And now we know that Alex Ray is now. 
uh, with same with Sam. So, you know, in 16, it started then. Um, I, I was playing, but I was still, I felt like I could, I could help out as a coach, as a mentor. And um, once, once, once I retired, it was a easier transition, but hard at the same time, because I never, I never had experience doing it. So for, for giving me that experience and, you know, that's, that, that, that's, that's where it all started. Yeah, I'm sure it becomes a little different when it becomes kind of a like a full-time job. And speaking of that, take me through kind of the day-to-day operations of being a pitching coach at the minor league level. I mentioned that uh, you had done it the past probably about three years, two years with the Mets organization. What are kind of your duties? What, you know, what do you, you wake up, you get to the ballpark, and where does it go from there? So it's all about, you know, getting on, getting with the, you know, sometimes getting with the with the manager. Um, getting with the coordinators, um, getting with you know uh, the strength and conditioning, getting with the you know, the training staff, just to figure out you know what's going on for the day. You know how is this guy how is this guy feeling today? Um, is he banged up? Um, talking with the manager, you know how are we gonna how are we gonna go through this game today? Who do we have available? Uh, you know how many pitches does this have got this guy has? And once that happens, I always set up a daily schedule for the guys anyway. So the night before, they have a daily schedule. Um, it tells them, you know, what time's the game, who's starting, who's available, what time is stretch, what time is a bullpen stretch, um, who has a bullpen, who has a long toss, who has a light toss, who has a moderate day, and like I said, who's available. Um, if we have certain, we have certain things that we use, um, we do so. Say like, if we have PFPs that day, PFPs will be on that schedule. Um, uh, player meetings, you know, um, advanced meetings, going over, you know, the the opposing team every every first every first game of the series. We go over the team. Um, also, too, I always put always put an inspirational quote at the end, just to have them understand like, hey, this is not just only just baseball; it's life too. It's life general life life lessons too. So I put that in English and Spanish, and then from that from that day on, we just follow the schedule. You know, we follow we follow things. Um, if I need to grab a guy for video, you know, check out video, see what he's done. You know, yesterday, what what he did during the game. Um, go over some player plans with with certain guys. See what see what they need to do. See how we can get them better, and then you know just keep on moving forward through the whole day until the game starts. Do you think the uh, the quality of pitching at the minor league level is better than it was when you played? And I mean that because, you know, now you have velocity mixed with command, mixed with just overall stuff, movement. Do you think the quality of, of minor league pitching is more polished? It's more of a, I want to say it's, it's the combine of all of that and when I was in the minor leagues, it was nothing of that. It was more of get people out. Um, it didn't matter how hard you threw. Obviously, they wanted you to throw hard, but they back then they 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 looked at you as who you were, right? So if I was a guy that was a 92, 90, 93 guy, you're gonna be a 92, 93 guy. You know, um nowadays, you know. We have so many kids that are 
bigger, faster, stronger, um, have stuff, you know, with command, um, it's it, it's mind blowing. You know, you look at kids that are in double, like like I had last year, I had a kid that topped out at 104. And I'm like, where is this going? You know, where is this game going? Every guy is from like 95 and up. And I'm like, wow. If you're a 95 and up in, in, in say, 2003, if your whole, whole staff in 03 was 95 and up, we would win probably six world championships in a row. <laughs> because you never, at that time, you never seen that. Yeah. You know, you always had your mixtures of certain people that, that pitched in a certain way. Is there is there a downside to that? Because, like, I mean, a lot of these guys, yeah, they throw hard. But, you know, once they lose those hard fastballs, you know, maybe they'll they'll be exposed. Like, for example, CC Sabathia had a great big league career. And then, you know, kind of when he started losing some of the fastball velocity and he hovered around the low 90s, maybe even high 80s towards mm-hmm. the end, he had to kind of learn how to pitch. And, you know, you kind of like yourself, you probably also had a blazing fastball and you had to learn how to pitch and you relied on the sinker. And I was watching video of you last night and you're backdoor in the cutter and you're, you're doing all sorts of sorts of things mm-hmm. to get hitters out. And, you know, you're getting ground balls. Is that a fear? Is that a downside to like, you know, throwing hard at this young age? Do you feel like you have the responsibility to, to be like, okay, they throw hard. Now my job is to teach them how to pitch. Yeah. I think that is my, that is my job. Um, you know, when, when you talk about guys with so much velocity, you know, he, he, he talked about fear too at, at the same time. Um, you know, some guys are fearful to try and, you know, locate a pitch, say, inside to the hitter uh, on the inner half. Because if that ball gets away, he can he can potentially kill somebody, you know. So, you know, just trying to teach command, um, you know, I, I think I think that's the easiest thing you can do is teach command. You know, I don't think you can teach velocity. I mean, if you have velocity, you have it. If you don't, you don't. But if I can, I can teach you how to command the ball. Then, then we have another uh, another weapon that we can use. Um, you know, like I said, you know, back in the day, it's like it was all about command. You know, you had to command the baseball because um, you didn't have the velocity. But if you have the velocity, again, you can command. That's another. That's another weapon you can do. You can get get to the big leagues as quick as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And was it a big deal for you to kind of, you know, completely zone in on some of the newer things like like a rap soto or trackman or driveline and kind of be fluent in some of the new technology that's around, especially since we live in an era where pitching has been kind of turned into more of a science. So, do you feel like it's been important for you to kind of zone in on those elements of the new technology? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a old school at heart baseball player. We never had analytics. We never had technology back then. I mean, shoot, right now if you can go back to the first phone that I had in '03, it was a Nokia. <laughs> now we look at we got i we got iPhones. You know, we got Androids. We got Everything is in our palm of our hands. It's all about technology now. And I wanted to buck the system when I was playing. And I, I told myself, I don't want that. And it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm more of a traditionist. But now getting into the baseball, getting into the coaching side, 
nowadays. If you understand the numbers, you understand all the rap solos, the trackmans of the world, you know, the driveline stuff, um, the plyos, um, analytical numbers. If you understand that and you're a good baseball guy, that gives you more ammo for a kid that comes in, say from from a Vanderbilt, that they know their numbers. Now they come to me and they tell me, now I now I can tell them an answer and they know that I'm not blowing smoke. And they know that I know what you're doing, what you're talking about. I understand what you're talking about. So you can't call me out on something that I don't know because I know it. And I think that's a really good tool for now coaches to understand those things because sometimes these players that are coming in from big-time colleges, they know more than us if you do not know what you're doing. So you have to have that type of um, that information that you're supposed to know that you want to know so you can actually help someone that actually will try and call you on your bluff. Yeah. And all these big colleges now, they have that $3,000 camera or whatever it is with the, mm-hmm. the, with the screen that pops up and it could track the spin. It could track the horizontal and vertical break. So yes. um, they're all coming from, from rich programs like that. Um, now I, I do get a lot of, you know, young, people that listen to this uh if i'm a young pitcher trying to build arm strength or just trying to get tips in general what would you what would you tell me well the first thing i need to know is who you are first as a person that's the night that's the main thing as a person for me is i gotta figure out who you are as a person and once i figure out who you are as a person i gotta figure out how you learn so there's multiple ways of learning. For me, personally, there's three ways of learning. There's a visual learner, there's a learner that feels, and a learner that hears, that can hear. I got to figure out which one you are first. Once I figure that out, then we can start tackling what we need to we need to attack. Then we can go with, you know, I got to see you throw first. You know, I got to see what you have. What do you have? What do you present to me that I can help to improve? Or do I have to rehaul this whole mechanics to get you where you want to be as optimal as possible? So that's the that's the main thing for me first. Like I don't even touch a kid until I get to know him as a person, get to know how he learns, have him comfortable, and then see him see him throw. And then once that happens, then we can tackle what we need to keep what we need to attack. Interesting. Uh, let's get into your your playing career a little bit. I know uh, doing some research for this, there's not a ton of players from Hawaii that have entered into Major League Baseball, and I think the correct number is it's like a little bit under 50. Uh, and if you look at the pitchers that were born there, a lot of them didn't really stick around past high school. So I, I was looking Ron Darling, you know, went to high school in mm-hmm. like Connecticut. Charlie Huff yeah. was born there, but he went to high school somewhere else. Uh, Mill Wilcox, same thing. Sid Fernandez is kind of the only like true Hawaiian pitcher. So was was he kind of like idolized by a lot of people in that area and in, in that state? He was idolized at that time when 
we were younger. Um, you know, you had you had the Kualua, um, yeah, Kualua that he was there. He's from Y and I. Um, you know, at that time it was it was just Sid. You know, it, it was just Sid as a pitcher. And then Benny Agbiani came 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 into the picture. So when when Benny came in, we were we were looking at him as a position player, like, oh my God, he's playing for the Mets. He's did he did so much for the for the islands. And we're all in awe of them. Then I want to say, not the two, our horns, because 99 was the best class that actually came out of Hawaii. You have myself, you have Shane Victorino, Rex Rundgren, Chad Santos, Jandon Thornton Murray. So now was Kurt Suzuki a little bit younger than you then? Uh... So Kurt was, I want to say... When I was a senior, he was a sophomore. And my last year, we played in the state tournament. He played for a school. And he was, uh, yeah, I think he was like a freshman or sophomore. Yeah, because he's another one that I looked at, and and he was one of the top guys uh, on the position player side. So that's interesting that 99, 2090, that around that time is kind of the more, uh, do, you, do you think, Hawaii is just gaining more popularity in baseball in general. At that time, yes, and then after that, it kind of fell off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then once the everybody talks about it, once the Little League World Series, once the teams from Hawaii came in, that's when it got booming again. Yeah, that that's definitely a a big money maker and a big uh, in terms of getting the spotlight on on a state and a city and all of that. Um, did did you have a favorite team or player growing up? Because I know there's obviously nothing in terms of major league, you know, close to anything in you know major league level in Hawaii. Did you did you have a team that you watched or kind of a, a player that you followed? So I really didn't watch baseball because of the time difference. Yeah. So the time difference was all jacked up. Um, but when I was when I was either at school or I was practicing. Games are are was already out in out in California, and the biggest the, the biggest money maker in Hawaii was cable TV, obviously, and then TBS. They did the Braves a lot, so I really didn't watch baseball, but I knew of certain players that I wanted to be like. Um, there were two, and there were two. One was Roger Clemens, and then the other one was Doc Gooding. Um, Doc Gooden was like an idol to me, um, growing up, you know, my dad, my dad is originally from Brooklyn, from New York. And when I first started playing baseball, he taught me about, you know, the New York side of all of baseball. And I seen Doc Gooden pitch when I was very young and I was in awe of an 18, 19 year old in the big leagues doing what he was doing. You know, big fastball, curveball, being in a spotlight in you know in New York, you know, playing at Shea, and and it was it was he 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 was he was one of the guys I wanted to be like. Um, so I patterned my whole high school career around him. Um, I wanted to be exactly like Doc. And I read somewhere that there's a local scout that compared you to a young Doc Gooden, and and you know the the possibility of you like maybe being better than him at some point 
Now, working with young pitchers now, I mean, a lot of them you hear they're they're on the top prospect lists and uh, they're on all these these websites where they're being ranked. Um, sure, you want to hype up a player, but you also don't want to make it seem like, you know, they're they're carrying everything on their shoulders. So what is the right balance between like you're going to be a stud, but also, you know, you want to keep the pressure off of them? I don't know if that makes sense. So the one thing I always tell young guys like that, I always ask them this one question and they always answer it in a way of a fan, not as a player. So I ask them, who is your favorite player? And they'll tell me their favorite player. And I say, do you want to be like them? And they say, yes. And I go, that's the wrong answer. Because yes, Say, say like for myself, I wanted to be exactly like Doc Gooding, but there's only one Doc. Yeah. Right? There's only one of them. And if I tell myself, oh, yes, I'm going to be exactly like him, that is, a, that is so much pressure to see what he did that I got I to gotta try and do that. Like, that's a lot of pressure on me. So I always tell young kids, yes, you can strive to be who you want to be, which is, say, that, that, that one player. But how about you pave your way to be yourself? Be the best version of yourself. Because if you be the best version of yourself, when you're, when you're at that point of where your idol was, now there's other people saying that you wanna, they want to be like you. So pave the way for yourself, not pave the way for someone that you look up to and you idolize. You're making me want to run through a, a brick wall here, Jerome. I, I think teams, <laughs> teams, teams should watch this too. Uh, was it different for you being a first rounder? Because I know that's like a different thing altogether where a lot of first rounders, they get the bonus and they're given like a longer leash than a guy maybe drafted in the the 23rd round or 30th round. I know there, there's not uh those rounds anymore i don't think but uh was there an added pressure in being a first round pick i never thought about me being as as just a first round pick i thought about it as i need to work you know i I need to work 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 and try and get to my ultimate goals just get to the big leagues and stay there you know um there were there were times you know i had to deal with a lot of stuff off the field you know um you probably read that, you know, my mother passed away. So, you know, I was 19 years old when my mom passed away and I was in double A and I wanted to quit because, you know, that was my best friend. I was a baby. I was a baby of the family and I was away from home and, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Um, but, you know, there, there are so many things that happened that I needed to, I, I needed to just work. You know, I had to work harder. For me, being a top prospect and being a high round pick, I felt like I had to work harder because I felt my dad told me this is like when you're on top, somebody wants to take your spot. So in order for you to keep your spot, you need to work harder. So I just kept on working and working and working and working. You know, I did go through some some tough times, you know, with being away from home for the first time. Didn't have a license until I got to the big leagues. Didn't know how to drive until I got to the big leagues. You know, so I I had to deal with so much things and so much 
you know, stuff with family and, and in baseball and being away from everything and then going through a season where, like, these kids don't understand about traveling, getting on a bus, playing a four-game series, and then you got to get on the bus the next day, that night, and then drive through the night and play the next morning. You know, so we had so much going on, and the only thing I was worried about was just to work. Yeah, and and I did read about your your mom and um you were known throughout your career as as the guy with the pink glove. And I know the pink mm-hmm. glove is more than just a color. It was also there's a meaning behind it and you wore it to honor your mom. How did that mm-hmm. that kind of come about and why did it mean so much to you to wear that in her honor? So I was I was I was playing with Oakland. I was in Sacramento in 2009. And then uh, I played winter ball. I did very well. And no team start, no teams called. So there was a guy down in Puerto Rico that knew a guy. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to play, play in Taiwan in 2010. 2010, go to Taiwan. And we all know Asian baseball, they have so much flash. They have so much different gloves, so much, so much you know, protective gear. And it's very colorful out there. I mean, I love it. And with me, I love gloves and I love shoes. So I get there and I see all these gloves. I'm like, sweet. So one day I'm walking down the street and I see a glove. And it's a pink one. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty nice. I like that. It's pretty cool. Maybe I might want I, I want to get this. I just wanted, I just wanted to get it just to get it. Then I get it. And then that next year, I'm in Indie Ball. I'm in Lancaster. And I and it dawned on me that it's 2011. So 2011 would have been a 10 year anniversary of my mom passing away. So in 2011 in Lancaster, I break out the pink glove and I'm using it. Well, that pink glove gave me so much power that it got me six and oh, in Lancaster, I get picked up by the Angels, go to AAA in Salt Lake. I go seven and two. I get called up to the big leagues. I go four and oh. Then they bring me to uh, Venezuela for a winter ball so I can get up to 200 innings. I go five and oh. So that glove that year got me, I don't know if you can do the math real quick, but I, I think it's 23 and two. So I went 23 and two that year and it was all, it was all in memory of my mother. And so from that day on, I was known for the guy that wore the pink glove every single day and to, and to get awareness on breast cancer. Um, You know, breast cancer took away my mom and before the, before the pink glove, it was the puka shell necklace. That's right. Yep. So the puka shell necklace was in memory of her too, because the puka shell necklace that I wore my rookie year was my mother's puka shell necklace she gave me. So I wore that through, I want to say 2005-ish, 2006, because for everybody who is watching this, when you get to the big leagues, you get to that mode of like, yes, I'm here. And I kind of got heavy. I got heavy 
and the net got a little bit bigger. <laughs> so it became a choke chain around my neck. So I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I got a little bit fat. So, but um, but yeah, in in 2010, that's when it started. And with the pink glove, it's just stayed with me through my whole career. So where's the pink glove now? Is it like just lying around the house somewhere? Is it in like a display case? So the first, so the first pink glove I have it is in a dis- in a display case with my mom in it. Mm-hmm. Um, another company seen the glove that I use and they knew it was a Zet glove, so it's a Japanese glove. But there's a company in Taiwan called Woods that starts with uh, ends with a Z, mm-hmm. and they were the only one. They were the one that actually gave me a contract with them first American guy with a contract from Asia to use their gloves. So I have with those gloves, I have, I want to say maybe 20 of them. I have 20 wow. pink gloves around the house. So my, my, my youngest son use, uses one sometimes when he needs to, but you know, I still, I still have it. That's awesome. And I'm sure with something like that, and you're, you're raising awareness for such a big issue that affects so many people. Did anybody come up to you like you know any fans during your career where they're like that's awesome that you're wearing a pink glove and then they shared their story of a loved one who either is battling breast cancer or has had breast cancer and passed from it did you ever get some fans sharing their stories to you constantly actually the 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 stories that they were sharing wasn't wasn't that Mm -hmm. it was the opposite it was teasing. It was like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing this? Oh, is wow. That your, is that your sister's glove? Oh, look, you have something that you have, you you have, you have your mother's glove. Oh, that's so cute. You know, I had that. I'm warming up. And a guy said that to me and I go, oh, did you lose a bet? He goes, did you lose a bet? I'm like, no, I lost my mom. And they they, they 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 hushed up. They didn't, they didn't say nothing. Then the next day, they came up to me and then they 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 kind of read what was what was the reason behind it. And that that was when I told people, like, understand the story before you before you to open your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. understand the story, understand the reason why I'm doing this. And then once once people found out the reason why, then the then those stories was coming up. They'd be like, "Wow, I, you know, I lost, I lost someone with, you know, prostate cancer, and uh, you know, different different types of cancers." And then now the now the awareness was was off, like the the ragging was off of me. It was more of like being accepted and like supportive of it. So I think I think you're a smart guy for not having Twitter or Instagram at this point. Um, did you, yeah. I know you yeah. used to have it, but like, yes. uh, and I know that there are some, some pretty bad racist comments that were against you. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, is it just like so peaceful now without having any of that, any social media? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's cool. I mean, you know, you, you see the true colors of people. When, when when stuff like that happens, obviously yes, you know we're we're in a we're in a profession where, you know we are in the spotlight every single day, and we are we are watched every single day, and yes, people do have opinions, but 
you have to realize this, like people don't understand, like if you've never been in the game on a professional level, people do not understand how tough it is, how difficult it is. It's very difficult. I mean, you, you've been around for a while. You understand it. You understand the game. Like, you understand what these, what all of us have, have to go through. Leaving family, leaving your, leaving your wife and kids, um, you know, dealing with off-the-field issues, dealing with, dealing with front office issues. I mean, there's so many issues that we have to deal with. And all that issues we have to deal with, we have to go out there and perform at our best, at our best capability. And if we don't do it, oh, you suck. You don't belong out there. We're going to attack you. Well, do you understand what, what I'm going through? No, people don't. So everybody everybody thinks it's, it's an easy job. It's an easy thing to do, but it's not. Absolutely. And especially a lot of those people won't even say that to you ever in person. Because they're, yeah. they're they're only saying because they're hiding behind the screen. That's, that's exactly often. exactly. So, it's like come amazing. out here. You come out here for a week and see if you can hang with the best of the best on the field that's trying to take your job away from you. Hook them up to the rap soto and the exactly have them, have them do PFPs. Yes, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. Absolutely. Um, few more things here. I want to get because you played with. You played with maybe the most interesting trio and like iconic trio of players throughout your career. Uh, And it's Bonds, Trout, (laughs) and Pujols. And you played with Pujols and Trout at the same time. But let's start with Bonds here because he was the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. And I read that, uh, I don't know if this was Bond specifically, but I read that, you know, when you first came up through the giant system, everybody called you Jeremy for whatever reason. Um, I mean, why, why was, why was your name Jeremy to them? Did they just not know it was Jerome? I guess we'll get to Bonds in a sec, but that first was, did they know that it was Jerome? Were they just playing around? Why was your name Jeremy for like <laughs> a little bit there? So I tell that story because of one person and one person only, Felix Rodriguez. Mm. So Fifi, straight from you know Dominican, I get to camp and I had Chad Zerby right next to me. So Chad Zerby was there. And we're doing something and Fifi is talking to me. But I'm 20 years old and I don't understand a lick of Spanish at all. So he's talking to me in Spanish, talking to me in Spanish. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. So all I'm going to do is just nod. I'm like, yeah, okay. So he's, he calls me. He's like, hey, hey, gringo. I'm like, yeah, that means. Then Chad Zerby tells me, he's like, oh, he's calling you an American. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, then Fifi tells me, he's like, hey, oh, you don't speak Spanish. I'm like, no. I don't speak Spanish. Well, you look Dominican. I'm like, no, I'm not Dominican. I'm not. <laughs> so he's like, hey, what's your name? I go, Jerome. And I go, oh, Jeremy? I'm like, no, Jerome. Oh, Jeremy. Okay, Jeremy. So from that day on, they were playing a joke on me, but I really thought that they were just calling me Jeremy. They didn't know my name. So they calling me Jeremy. They call me Jeremy this whole time, and I have to correct people later on in my career. So, 
You know, there's only two Jeromes in the history of baseball, with Jerome Walton being the other one, an outfielder in the uh, the 90s. So that was one other thing that I found out. Uh, now, now back to Bonds real quick. Was it like being with him and, uh, you know, watching him swing the bat? And obviously he's a guy who there's been a lot of, you know, discussion about whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. Uh, as a guy that played with him, what was it like watching him hit every single day? It was in awe. Um, just to see what he what he did day in day out um you know it, people don't understand like I always have conversations with guys out here you know in high school high school coaches or just people in general and it's like you know do you think Barry was was the greatest hitter of all time well, no doubt it's like well I really think I really think you know it's, it's like like trout and all these guys well yeah I get that don't get me wrong they're they're great in in their time but you, you you mean to tell me that you can tell Trout or Pujols to go up to the plate and get walked three times in a game, and on that fourth AB, he sees one pitch and he hits it out? I mean, come on. That's that, – that, I mean, his eye was so good. Yes, well, all the speculation of, of what, what happened with him. I get all of that. But he put – so many fans in the seats. He had people on the road cheering for him. You know, the day in and day out, the stuff that he had to deal with, with the media, with, with all this stuff, with his dad passing away, you know, with everything, with all that stuff going on, he had to go out there and perform. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's so much things that he had to deal with, and he went out there and performed to the best capabilities. He... I think he won five, five or six MVPs. Seven. (laughs) Seven MVPs. There you go. Seven MVPs. So it's like, how can you not, like, say this guy is good? Like I said before, I get what people are talking about. But you put him on the field, he's the best player on the field. He's the guy that that should be, he should be in the Hall of Fame. No Mm -hmm. doubt. And another guy uh, that I mentioned was Trout. And you saw Trout, you know, Bonds was a little bit later in his career. It was the era where he was putting up the video game numbers. Trout's mm-hmm. rookie year was 2012. You were there in 13, I think 14 too. And mm-hmm. you saw the 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 big monster years from Trout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was still a young guy at that time. So what was yeah. it like kind of kind of watching him play? And, and I mean, those were some of the best years that we've ever seen in, in American League history statistically. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm sure it was it was awesome watching him too every day. So I was with the Angels from 11 to 13. So I seen Trout come up at 11 as a September call up, mm-hmm. and then in 12 he got called up again on the same day of Bryce Harper. So we were in we were in Cleveland, and Harper was in LA playing against the Dodgers. So and then so so in those years, 11, 12, and 13 that I've seen him. And then I played against him in 14 and 15 when I was in Houston and Philly. Those those years of trout was incredible. Just to see, it was almost like a baby bonds. Yeah. Like, but at that time, not with the power. He did have power, but he also had like. If he it, it, when he came up, if he came up during in, 
from 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 opening day, I swear I think he has over a hundred stolen bags because of his his play. Played played good outfield. He was so so with his arm at that time, but he got his arm better. Yeah, by far the best. Him and Borges was like one and two. Um, his his plate discipline, understanding the plate. He did the little things too. He put it. He dropped down bunts. He did. He did so many things that a guy at that age, we thought that could never do. And I think the number one guy that helped him, that guided him through those times before he left was Torrey Hunter. Torrey Hunter helped him out a lot. Brought him under his wing, did everything for him. Helped him out. And that's why, and, and that's why he is who he is at, at right now. I think Torrey helped him a lot. And just to see what he's done after that, He's a Hall of Famer in in in, in my books, first ballot. And he's a running back too. And you mentioned the speed. Can you imagine like if teams let guys steal bases again? Like how many steals he would have instead of like four or five a year, which is what he's at now, he would easily steal thirty-five to forty a year. He'd be a forty-forty guy like perennial every year. And exactly, and teams don't let their exactly. guys steal unless like the success rate is like seventy-five percent or above. So. Exactly. Exactly. He 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 could he could actually be like how you said a forty forty guy every year. Yeah, hundred percent. And and let's hope for a, a year of health for Trout. Uh, yes, obviously, um, even during some of his non healthy years, he's still he 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 always like misses like two months, but at the end of the mm-hmm. year, it's like thirty five bombs, hundred yep. ribbies. It's like yep. what? So yep. uh, hoping for a year of health for him. A uh, few more things here before we wrap up. Um, you played in the minor leagues, the big leagues, Taiwan, Mexico, independent ball, Mexican winter league, Venezuelan winter league, Puerto Rican winter league. You played everywhere where anybody could probably accept. Uh, maybe if you played for the blue Jays, you would have played like in Canada, <laughs> technically. Uh, yeah. What are your, some of your takeaways in, in terms of getting to kind of travel the world the way you did? Cause a lot of guys don't, you know, don't get to do that or, Maybe they, you know, retire before they have the chance, but you are a very well-traveled person. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I would have never thought when I was 17 years old that I would have been all around the world at, at my age now. I never, I never would have thought that because my only, my only thought coming from Hawaii, the only thing that we know is just like, okay, big leagues, that's it. MLB, MLB. But once once things happen that's unfortunate you're gonna have to figure out a way to get back to where you wanted to be and there's a lot of different routes there's a lot of different roads and you have to find those roads and you still have to keep on pushing forward you can't say i'm gonna give up i don't i i I never wanted to give up the reason why i didn't want to give up for two reasons my mom and my mom told me, hey, keep on playing until you can't play no more. Like, okay, mom, got you. And the second one is the biggest one is for my kids. I didn't want my kids to look at me and be like, wow, dad's a quitter. I didn't want them to think that. I always wanted them to, to think that, dang, dad is like pushing. Keep on, keep on going, keep on going. Even though I see dad 
going through some struggles and you know he's not giving up and you know that's the that's the main thing i always say to everybody it's like i don't care what anybody says to you never give up never tell never have somebody tell you you can't do it because they don't know what you're going through but only you can do it for yourself and that's what i've done you know and, and i did that for for 20 years <laughs> i did it for 20 and you know, granted, you know, I had those 20 years because maybe if I didn't do it for those 20 years, who knows? We wouldn't be talking right now. Mm. You know, so I'd still you know, find I, you I, somehow. Huh? <laughs> I'd still find you somehow. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just trying to find, you know, just, just trying to find that 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 passion. You know, I always told myself was like the day that I don't learn something new is the day that I step away from baseball. So for 20 years plus, I've been still learning something. So I'm still going to be in this game. If you were to change anything, would you would you change it or would you keep it all the same? Um, that's 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 a that's a mixed question. It's a mixed answer for me. Um, I would I, I would keep it the same, but also too, I think, I think I would have done something different. I think I would have tried worked a little bit harder when I got to the big leagues instead of just relying on being this top prospect, relying on my talent, not worried about trying to get better, not trying to take care of myself. Um, but on the other side, it's like there's all these other aspects of baseball that I had that I, I experienced. You know, I experienced, you know, being in Taiwan, being over in Puerto Rico, being in Venezuela, you know, un um, understanding winter ball, um, playing in indie ball, you know, playing for, I want to say what it was, seven, eight different teams. So it's like, I, I got so much friendships out of those trips as so much people that I know. There's so much, there's so much other things that went through, like going over to the Philippines for the first time, going to Japan, going to, you know, Mexico, going to different countries. So it's like, if I never, if I, if I did my work, I probably would have never did all of that, but I didn't do my work. And I went through all that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of mixed. Yeah. Uh, and real quick, before we go, I got some rapid fire questions for you. You don't have to answer them super quick, but um, first things first, which big league hitter gave you the most fits? Oh God. Everybody asks me that question and it always comes up straight to my head. Todd Helton. Todd Helton. Interesting. Uh, I was going to, I was going to uh, say Nelson Cruz. Cause I looked at Nelson Cruz's stats against you. He took you deep five times. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I try and shy away from Nelson Cruz. Cause every time Nelson Cruz comes up, I get, I get butterflies in my stomach and I start shaking. <laughs> he just, because, yes, he, he has owned me. He owned me for his whole career. And Every time I see him, I always just give him a look and he starts laughing. I'm like, dude, I don't want to talk to you no more. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like the same age and he's just signed like a one-year deal with, with San Diego to be their DH. <laughs> I know. I've seen that. And you know, you know, the funniest thing about Nelson Cruz is like, I faced him in the minor league. So he was with um, Nashville. Nashville, I think Nashville was with um, Milwaukee. Yeah. With Milwaukee. So the old Nashville stadium, they had a guitar in left field. So if they hit the guitar, the actual player that hits the guitar gets an actual guitar. I think he has like six of them because of me. <laughs> so 
I don't know. <laughs> Nelson Cruz, good answer. All right. If you weren't playing or coaching baseball, what would you be doing? Oh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know anything but baseball. From 17 until now, all I know is baseball. Like, I joke around with, with parents and players. I go, hey, your mom and dad, they have a nine to five, right? They go, yeah, well, you know what my nine to five is? It's noon to midnight because I'm at the baseball field every single day. So I don't know what I'll be doing. Wouldn't rather be anywhere else, huh? Exactly. Uh, so I already asked you where the glove was, uh, where the gloves, the gloves plural were. Uh, which which big league team do you turn on the TV now and root for? So last year was the first time I actually really watched baseball. Because mm-hmm. I don't like watching baseball. I hate watching it. Because um, there's some there's some things that happens in my mind. Like I always look at players that's playing. And I'm like, how are you still playing? And I'm not. So, but this year, this year was the first time watching and I really wanted Dusty to get a get a World Series. I really wanted Dusty to get one. Um, I could care less if it everybody hates the Astros or whatever, whatever it is. I could care less. I played for the Astros. I could care less what happened with, with me, care less what happened with all the stuff, all the stuff that they went through. I wanted Dusty to get a World Series. He deserves one. And he got one. And all those guys from whatever happened in 2017, they're all gone. There's like three of them left. So for the Astros mm-hmm. to be villainized, that was uh, very interesting. But yeah, congrats to Dusty for sure. And yes. the last one here, who do you think is the best young player in the game today? Oh, wow. That's no. What is what? What are you considering young? Uh, Nelson Cruz. No, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, I guess 20s. I, I guess 20s. Okay. Um. I want to say the kid from uh, Seattle. He'd be my pick too, Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez. He's he reminds me of a up and coming Griffey. Mm. Like when Griffey was bursting onto the scene, that's what he reminds me of. He reminds me of a Griffey. Like he's really good. He's gonna be he he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with. And and there's one more player, and I want you guys to watch out for him. Because I I and I'll be biased because I worked with him since he was in Kingsport. Francisco Alvarez. I almost watch brought out. him up today. Yeah. Yes. Catcher. Watch out for him. Watch out for him. He's a young kid that's understanding the game very quick. And watch out. Interesting. Awesome. Jerome, I Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. I know we had some some technical problems that maybe uh, I know for a fact the listeners and viewers will not see because I'll take care of that. Okay. Uh, and I appreciate uh, you staying with me here and uh, coming on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, no problem, man. Anytime. And of course, everybody could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Go check it out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, yeah, some more episodes to come. And see you next time.